Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 14th of October 2018. Sorry for the voice, but it's the end of a, a long week, you might say, of having the cold. It's not too pleasant and I catch it every other, every other year basically, so I had to catch it this year. So it's raspy and all that, but you'll just have to put up with it because I do have to put up with it too. Remember too, folks, you can buy the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website and make a list of all the other websites I have in case any of them go down. You can always find my talks on the other sites there. you also find it at AlanWattSentinel.eu and you can order the books and discs on the sites. You can see how to do it. If they're not on my sites, then whatever you're buying isn't from me. Quite simple. And lots of folk have scammed in the past, and no doubt there's some, some scamming today by copying my stuff. And it's quite an age we live in, isn't it, where folk literally will copy everything you do. It's quite funny in sometimes because a couple of weeks ago I mentioned, I think it was on the 30th of September, that the anti-fan movements and so on and these big mass demonstrations across the world, really, and across Europe, well-coordinated, well-funded and well-organised, are using the old Saul Alinsky's technique from the Weather Underground and Rules for Radicals. And sure enough, within a week or two, two major um, talk show hosts copied my show, actually, what I said about it, too. So you'd be surprised how many little sparks you can give off. Uh, They get taken up by... Other people who never mention you, of course. <laughs> but but these, are the, these are the techniques that are being used when it comes to these uh, mass protest movements, well-organized. They're not there to, to discuss anything or to put in a complaint and hand in a petition. They're there to shout down anybody who tries to say anything at all that they don't agree with, which is generally everything. And that's exactly from the technique that Alinsky proposed that they do. But anyway, we're living in an age of mass transition because this is the century for a transition where a very old agenda is to be accomplished, completely accomplished, by the end of the century, step by step, different parts of it. Some of it's already been accomplished uh, up to the present time in this new century. And the rest of it's on not on the drawing board, it's actually being implemented because it takes a while to change society in different areas. It's easier today with mass communications, mass news, mass propaganda. People across the world get the same indoctrination at the same time. And I've gone through the, the talks from UNESCO, for instance, that's there to create a common culture for the youth across the whole planet to make sure they're indoctrinated with the right PC topics and ideas and conditioned in a Pavlovian style not to... Actually, they'll blush if you say certain words, in fact. They'll blush and, and retreat into their little selves because it's a conditioned response really to just words. And what they've been taught uh, is behind those words of what it really represents, but it doesn't really represent it. It's quite easy if you, could, if you, if you understand that by using these techniques, you can condition society to be perfectly good little robots who cannot think beyond the conditioned response. If you can't look into anything uh, without harm, uh, then there's a problem, a big, big problem. Someone's controlling you. And, of course, today, that's the whole point of it, is control, isn't it? I don't think folk realize just how much control there is in today's society and where it's supposed to go. 
most folk really go along with it voluntarily because they want to be part of their peer group. And their peer group is given all what's the nice things to be in your peer group. It tells you that a good person is blah, 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 a whole list of things. And a good person will not discuss this. They'll not discuss that. They won't say these things, blah, blah, blah. And they want to conform in order to be accepted by their peer group. They also want to conform today if they want to get a job. It's that bad, isn't it? And that's, that's real tyranny, and that's control. Society has to have all kinds of viewpoints, and has to be allowed to have that, all kinds of viewpoints, to be free at all. If, you're not, if, you, if you don't get that, then you're under tyranny. It's very simple, very, very simple. And believe you me, <laughs> when you go into who runs the world, and who's run the world for an awful long time, Carl Quigley said it, uh, that he says the, the group that he belonged to and he worked for, which is the Council on Foreign Relations, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, that has branches across the whole planet now, running uh, governments. And he said that he didn't always agree with, with, with uh, the way they implemented things, but he, he agreed with their agendas in general and helped them, actually. He became their historian for a while. And he said we're often mistaken for communism, now, Carl Quigley was no communist, but he believed in the ordered, controlled, scientifically run society. And that's exactly what the communists hope to get to eventually. But it's also what the big, big international bankers wanted a long time ago. The ordered, controlled, obedient society. Individuality, according to the United Nations, was a major problem in the world. You couldn't get an orderly society, the perfectly controlled robotic society, without, without getting rid of individuality. It just won't do, you see. And the big, big powers, they helped shape society up to the present time and helped to plan the cultural changes that we're living through today and have been living through our whole lives, in fact, many of whom are now dead, these characters wrote copiously about it, what they would do, what their intentions were. These weren't individuals like Bertrand Russell sitting, making a wish list for, for a fantasy thing. These guys were, he belonged, Russell belonged to the Macy Group, the Frankfurt School, uh, a whole bunch of organizations, the World Socialist Society. During World War II, he worked for MI5. And so on. It's fascinating to realize that that's it's actually the powers that be, the ones that you think, because you're brainwashed to think, who control your society in a hereditary fashion, even in the UK, like royalty and so on. You think that they would never allow that to happen. But why not? You think they don't want a, a controlled, uh, obedient society? Really? Of course they do. In London, the city of London, was the, really the, the base for this international movement. And they wrote about it, and the, uh, the members wrote about it in their, in their writings. You can look at the, the different members of the Royal Institute for International Affairs in all, all British Commonwealth countries. And anybody who's anybody's a member of it, even today. And the, the CFR, for the, for the non-royal countries like the US, but uh, yeah, they're quite... Uh, 
complain about what they want. And they have no problems with that. They also believe that science is the controlling factor, using academia to control populations, to train the populations who are up and coming. And worldwide, they can create a uniform society across the planet. They also believe in eugenics. They really, as far as I can see, don't have a favorite group or ethnic group because they they believe that the elite of all countries, meaning that the, the, the intellectual elite of all countries and the wealthy elite of all countries, should really have the, the right to, to live as they do above everybody else in the clouds, in a sense. And, and uh, everyone else below them, of all groups, uh, are, are pretty well equal in their, their status and their class-type systems down to the bottom level. And that's what most folk can't figure out. Why do you think... Why do you think the West and Europe, the European countries and U.S., why do you think they all signed on, on board with a war across the Middle East, knowing, knowing in advance that millions of people would then leave the countries that were bombing and move into Europe? Why do you think they, would, they don't care about any domestic population? Not at all. And as Rockefeller said, you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. So all the chaos you're seeing was planned, all of it, by those who already own you and control your countries. Rather obvious. This is not guesswork, this is what they wrote about. A world system, a world governmental system, they like to tone it down and call it governance, but it's actually government and you don't need a place, remember, for government when you have governance institutions across the planet all working together in a spider's web. Then you've got government. Of course you have. And through the UN, you have all these treaties signed, and you, we implement them all. We all sign on to the, all the treaties and, and for, for all kinds of things, including the environment, and then um, it's implemented in your own countries. Nothing of really any importance is ever put to the general public in any kind of vote. The only vote you get is to vote someone who's put in front of you as the latest Labour or, or Conservative Party member. That's all you get. But anything that matters outside of that, which is pretty well everything, no one's asking your opinion on anything and giving you the right to vote on it. Switzerland has that right, but we don't get that right. And that's why things never fail for those who control this entire system. We have no say. We can grumble as much as we want. Today it's great on the internet if I can grumble all the time. And their grumbling is managed and, and watched and studied by all your universities are given access to it to find out ways to placate you in some way. Don't give them what they want, but just stop them grumbling. Or at least keep it the grumbling phase. If it's at the grumbling phase, it can't get any, any more violent. It's just grumbling, right? So it's contained. It's a safety valve, in a sense. And it lets your, your owners know how further they can push you in any particular area. As our, our countries are heading for the next big crash... The last crash, 2008, wasn't, is not finished. It always comes in twos. Because now if they start um, dealing with the massive uh, uh, borrowing that countries have, 
from the same banks that crashed you in the first place. <laughs> and now they want to get paid. And that's where the, everybody's currency is plummeting and the cost of living is going up and up. And it's a tremendous greed frenzy at the same time as things go up and up. And the greed frenzy isn't just from the top, it's all the way to the bottom. For anybody, for anything, I'll rip you off. That's the way it is now, unfortunately. Sad but true. Greed factor. Everybody wants to be on the top of whatever. We should always remember that you can go back into the champion of evolution, the guy who, he didn't really come up with an idea himself. In fact, he, he took a lot of ideas from other people. And so the Royal Society that, that elevated uh, Charles Darwin to the top in that field, but a lot was taken from Wallace at the time, who sent most of his findings to Darwin, and uh, Darwin used them as his own. But the idea from Darwin uh, really validated a, a very old idea amongst nobility of, the, of Europe, and that of the blue bloods, the right to their special Actually, it goes all the way back to, to ancient Greece when Plato talks about the nobility of his own day and how they were different and they knew things instinctively as though they'd lived before, in a sense, he said. Uh, and so you find the same thing in, with the nobility of Europe where they felt they got there by intelligence. They got to their status by intelligence and uh, through their ability to always get past problems uh, with expediency. But in reality, most of the nobility, they didn't get their, their money from, uh, I'll put it this way, the ones who got their money outside of usury and capitalism. And the, the, the trade deals, Britain, remember, was doing their trade deals. It's always been doing trade deals, now it's free trade deals, uh, for, for about 300 years or more. And you can't even say Britain, it was London, the city of London. And you find a lot of the nobility of Britain and the sirs and lords all got their, their knighthoods from, from commerce and banking. Today, that is. Other ones were before that, as I say, even the Russells, uh, when they simply stole land from the, from the church, the old Catholic church at the time, they confiscated their property. And uh, they became the new uh, capitalists of their day. And they opened up their own uh, particular banks and so on. Before that, they weren't allowed to use usury and make profits. So folks don't realize that a lot of the nobility were really just robber barons at the time who plundered uh, the old Catholic Church's property. And then, along with the property, they grabbed the lands, the feudal lands, and they basically owned the serfs, and you'd served them again. It reminds me, too, of Charles Galton Darwin, descendant and a relative of uh, Charles Darwin. Remember, the, the Darwins intermarried with the Galtons and... They were completely intermarried uh, in Charles Darwin's day with the Wedgwood family, every generation, for quite a few generations. They believed in eugenics and interbreeding with specific genes, believing they could improve the race, their own race, you see. 
And because of that, they believed they were superior. It wasn't just them. There were many big wealthy families across Europe doing the same thing at the same time. But you find, as I say, Tregotten Darman mentioned in his book, The Next Million Years, that they would uh, basically use academia too to control society and, and create the kind of society that they wanted by training the people. Some of them who are propagandists for these institutions, including the Fabian Society, which is just another left-wing branch of the same group, because they have to control all sides. Well, H.G. Wells, he talked about it rather openly, about the, the need to totally control society and train them from birth. And his, his founding partner with the Fabian Society, George Bernard Shaw, talked about uh, culling off the wrong kinds. Wells further talked about that himself by saying that we used to think we'd have to simply abort and, and, and sterilize and cull off the inferior types. But he said, he said in his book, uh, A Modern Utopia, he said, but uh, we decided to let them, to sterilize them and let them die off. It was more humane. That attitude never changed. Hasn't changed. It's worse today than ever. It's way more camouflaged because you see, you can hide anything behind science, the garb of science, and propaganda. With propaganda on a mass scale, reaching into everyone's house via television, for instance, you convince the whole planet that you're, oh, the weather's changing and you're all going to die. There's too many of you. You're using all the world's resources up. It's all your fault. The future's hopeless. Why don't you sterilize yourselves and, and have no children? Etc., etc., etc. And then when you've had 40, 50 years of that and you've had no children, the same sources tell you they have to bring in mass migration from abroad because there's not enough of you left. Well, which one is it? Which is the right way? Hmm? If you're having less people in the population in, in a country, isn't that a good thing in that case? Because the big argument before that was too many of you in that country. Which one is it then? Huh? When you have such inconsistencies of opposing opinions being indoctrinated into you at the same time, you're being conned, folks. Totally conned. In every respect. In every area. But as I say, the, the people who lived in the before and into World War II and just after World War II were far more open about the big agenda because socialism took off big time before World War II with the Great Depression. Remember, too, in a depression, financial depression, where it becomes more obvious that people who are really poor at the bottom they become obvious how poor they are as they start to starve. The elite don't like that. And, they, and for over a century, remember, in the, the 19th century and before, the, the nobility always looked upon those who were poor as being, as being part of a, like a mental illness. You're, you're poor because you're mentally ill. That was what the excuse they gave for it. Nothing to do with the fact the whole system was rigged to stop most folk from even moving up. 
And it was incredibly well rigged. I've given quite a bit of the histories of the big social engineers of the 20th century. And uh, Julian Huxley, for instance, of UNESCO and Planned Parenthood and so on, who was very open about uh, their big agenda to train all of society using science. If you don't open up a propaganda episode on TV by saying this is a propaganda episode using science, then you'll simply listen to the science where they present as facts and believe it all. And you're being propagandized as you do. Everything is politicized with a purpose. Everything out there. I used to think of the BBC in Britain had so much power and it still sells licenses to watch the propaganda. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that really amazing, eh? And all the big ills of the present time is they confuse you and confuse you and confuse everything in preparation for the next so-called evolutionary period all planned. You pay for the license as you get propagandized. Quite amazing stuff, it really is. A government-run system. Although, mind you, they did sell shares off a few years ago, the BBC. It's a private crown corporation, they call it. In the British Commonwealth countries, you have this odd things called crown corporations. You can't find out who's got the shares in it generally. But we found out that a certain amount of these private shares were sold off a few years ago of the BBC to the CIA. I remember reading an article on the air at the time. So he, and they still want a license to watch the propaganda. Hmm? Amazing. Isn't that amazing? The same though, it's the same thing as, as, as um, calling it your, your personal computer, your PC, your private personal computer. Nothing private about it. It's not personal. It's the gateway for every agency on the planet to get into your life and condition you too. And study you. The same with the BBC with their license. It's not there to entertain you or, or simply inform you. They'll form you, all right, to their own own liking. Propaganda is everywhere. Now, getting back to Bertrand Russell, for instance, he was very open about the gender where they would take children from the parents initially. That's what he wanted in the early 20th century. He talked about it and wrote about it. Uh, and that was the old communist way too. The communists wanted the same idea. It was all, again, this, this, this similar, it's almost like a mirror image of each other. Because they both believed that science and academia should rule over everything. The only difference is at the very top who should own it all. That was the only difference. Still is today. So this, this uh, let's put quotation marks, British system wanted to take the children, all children away and bring them up in forms of kibbutzes, in a sense, and um, indoctrinate them in a new form. And they wouldn't have contamination, as they called it. That's moral and cultural contamination going over from parents to child that way. That was the idea. The communists did, the Soviets did a similar thing. They tried experiments too with the same kind of thing. But then Russell eventually said, we used to think that would have to do, this is years later. And he said, 
we found out that with good, proper and scientific indoctrination at an early age, the parents can still look after the children physically and health-wise and pay for their upkeep. But the state will be in charge of, of their indoctrination and culture. With good scientific indoctrination, he says, then the parental influence, no matter what they say to the children, will have no effect. It was so perfect that the indoctrination at school. So that's all parents are now, is just to, to rear the children on behalf of the state, really. And via what you think is social media, that is not separate from the state, by the way, then they would make sure the state would still give the child the cultural indoctrination. Now, as I've said before, the whole idea was to get children at a young age and scientifically indoctrinate them. Jack C. Lowell talked about it. Later, propaganda won't take with children. It won't work with them unless they have that initial indoctrination and propaganda at school. Very important. It's like a primer. It's almost like, an, like a series of shots. You need the first one to, to, to prepare you for the second shot sort of thing. So that the third shot will take. That's the, that's the reasoning behind it. It's the same kind of thing with uh, with this that we're talking about here. So it's interesting to me, coming from Scotland, to see that, and as I mentioned before about Girfac and the the child advocacy groups and so on, formed by the government, where everybody born, every child born in the country has to have a, a an advocate assigned to them, basically by uh, the state who has access to the home, and so on and so on, and who must test the child uh, year by year and month by month, in a sense, some of them, uh, to find out what their opinions are on different things, to make sure they're, they're, they're really PC, so they can get in there quickly and change any individual self-thought, you might call it, or self, self-thinking ability, and, and self-analytical ability, and the ability to see what's really there as opposed to what they want you to see. Like O'Brien and George Orwell's 1984. So they, they chose Scotland. Scotland is a, a country that was hammered, hammered for a long, long time. Culturally, hammered economically, big time. Used as a battering ram across the planet for London and for its wars. And the more unemployment you create, uh, the more people will just flood into the, the military when there's nothing else left, obviously. And they also had the rationing in World War One, two, and in between they also had the Great Depression. And, uh, yeah, they were really hammered big time. So you have a lot of uh, problems. You had malnutrition after World War Two, Going right, right up into the 1960s, there was always a, a recession, they called it, in, in, in Scotland. They never called it, a, they never said there was a booming economy. It was always a recession, if not a downright depression. So they're using the country and the problems inherent in the country as a test bed for getting it right for every child and so on. That's what they call it. Which is a nice way of saying we want the children to indoctrinate. 
getting it right. You see, you understand how that was present the most horrific things in the most pleasant way. It's kind of like the same terminology, and they do they employ marketers and pay lots of money of the taxpayers' money, naturally, to get nice-sounding terms to use on the public when they want to exploit them for some reason. So it's to get it right for every child. To get what right? Hmm. So it says here, Scotland is in the midst of a cultural revolution. No kidding, eh? A revolution. Remember that term, revolution. It's awfully important. More and more of us are coming to understand the impact of childhood stress on adult health and happiness. This is this well-being idea, you see. They don't say, how's your health? How's your well-being? Oh, my well-being is fine. How's yours? And it says a two-day event will bring together some of the most inspirational speakers in the country to help us consider how we get this information on adverse childhood experiences as aces to every children of our nation. On whose nation? In a world where they say there are no nations left, why do they, why do they use this when they want to do something to you? There are only five million of us in Scotland, it says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is, that's a bit all there is now. Yeah. And it says, um, making Scotland the world's first ace-aware nation. Uh, massive propaganda. Eh? Isn't that a blitz of propaganda? Or how much it costs the taxpayers for these, these terms and this, this type of propaganda? It gives you the sponsors and the exhibitors and all the rest of it. That's one page. Of this of the article, and then another one is adverse childhood experiences, the ACEs again, and uh, how to tackle their impact. This is uh, their stressful, traumatic experiences that can have a huge impact on children and young people throughout their lives. The ten widely recognised ACEs, as identified in a U.S. study from the 1990s, are. Physical, sexual, and verbal. So there's there's an ace there, you see. Mm-hmm. Ace. Adverse childhood experience. How about poverty? Mm-hmm. How about poverty? State-sponsored poverty. How about that? Mm-hmm. You know, every big investment in a country's uh, to, to set up a, a big factory or, or employment or whatever goes through London first, you know. They decide where all these things go. Well, guess where all those jobs went to? Hmm? Guess where? In the 1960s, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, this private organization, right, that runs the country, had the world meeting in London, and they decided, they said they were going to make Scotland into a tourist industry. And they did. They closed on everything, all the factories, the shipyards, everything, and uh, turned it into a tourist industry. So, yeah, they should have poverty in there, state-sponsored poverty, I'd say. And then it says, neglect is also emotional and physical. And they give you examples, whether it's alcohol or drug abuse problems. And where there's adults with mental health problems, domestic violence, uh, adults who have spent time in prison, 
and parents have separated. Well, I guess you could put up uh, almost most parents today, almost, not, not quite, but a good majority of the, uh, the parents have separated today. Because a complete war on the family since the 1960s, and it's still going on. The fact is, someone, some people did not want uh, a lot of Scots folk around, and that is a fact, folks, that is a fact. This article is to promote and the propaganda of further testing of children. Now, for those who don't know it too, at the end of World War II, the Psychiatric Association for Britain had spokespeople out there, psychiatrists, who demanded, demanded the right to test everyone in Britain for mental health, adults too. And they wanted, through the United Nations, the right to test everyone for mental health, which would mean that there'd be a level of uh, special testers who were obviously above all of the things that they were going to test <laughs> on the rest of the population, but, but they would test everyone and decide if, if you were fit, not unfit, or whatever. This was after going to war, supposedly, against a nation, Germany at the time, Nazi Germany, or Nazi-run Germany, going against them, who were promoting racial hygiene, which also included mental health. And that's what they always say about Britain. Britain went to war to fight National Socialism and emerged from the war as a nationalist, socialist country. Go figure, eh? You see, those who rule the world financially, very old families too, and keep the money in the families, have no problem using academia and all the professions to manage the rest of society on their behalf and to create as little problems as possible in governing them, basically. So a better way, like any domestic uh, herd, is to, is to train them from birth. That's all it is, is herd management, isn't it? The day that your owners really care about your health because they've got sympathy for you. It'll be the day it'll snow in hell. Let's look at what they, they say. Why this ace matters. This ace. If you knew how much money your government spends, it's your money, of course, your tax money, on propaganda and using experts to train you not to do things like don't use doctors so much, don't use the hospital so much, such as the Behavioral Insights Team. And I mentioned that a few weeks ago, did a, a few talks on in fact, and how they have these teams across the, the world made of, of those in academia, getting well paid with your tax money, to nudge you all, through the internet in every other way too, and through articles and papers and so on all paid for by you, the taxpayer, to propagandize you not to do certain things, but also to nudge the doctors not to prescribe antibiotics and certain medications to you. All done by your friendly governments. Do you think it's because they really care about you? 
that they don't want you to get antibiotics. Hmm? The same governments at the same time across the world pretty well start advising folks that they can, you know, you can take a pill to kill yourself, but they'll supply it for you. Because it's cheap, very cheap, rather than treat you for an illness. And at the same time, the massive propaganda on not prescribing real strong painkillers for folk who are terminally ill. Now, they can survive for quite a long time and make their, their final preparations for their exits by holding the pain at bay. And that was a natural thing for a long time. It gives them a chance to talk to all their relatives, etc., etc. Natural. But see, death upsets us, doesn't it? We're trained not to look at it. Because most folk today don't even have folk in their homes that, are, that die in their homes. They're all put into these sterile environments and taken care of by professionals. And then they're whisked off to some mortuary for other professionals. And therefore most folk don't have the experience of looking after their own relatives who are getting old and then eventually going through their terminal phases. And that's sad too because that's a natural part of living. And that's what makes life so precious is by looking after those who are losing it. And one day you will too. They don't want you having experiences where you have you realize that life is awfully precious. They don't want you to have that at all. So let's go back to these adverse childhood experiences. And it says here that um, research from Wales and England found that people who reported experiences experiencing four or more ACEs are four times more likely to be a high-risk drinker, 16 times more likely to have used crack cocaine or heroin, six times increased risk of never or rarely feeling optimistic, I never met many folk growing up that were optimistic about anything, to be honest with you. All you got was bad news. Bad news, bad news. Recession, recession, bad news. <laughs> and it's a three times uh, increased uh, risk of heart disease, respiratory disease, and type 2 diabetes. These are all, uh, all these health problems too, are also uh, the exact uh, results of, as I say, a World War I, rationing, uh, poverty after with the Great Depression, into World War II, straight into it, there was no release, uh, it didn't get better, and rationing right through that, right up until the 1950s, into the 1950s. And their children don't just bounce back just suddenly, once they start getting some food, it wasn't a switch, and suddenly the food's all there either, it took years to get it back up to any kind of decent level. So it takes another generation to even start to recover from that. Some of them won't for a few generations. It's lots of, lots of physical problems. And 15 times more likely to have committed violence, 14 times more likely to have been victim of violence in the last 12 months, and 20 times more likely to have been in prison at any point in their lives. So this is what they claim are the results of... Uh, Adverse childhood experiences. Well, as I say, you've had wars, wars, wars. 
you had also had uh, the revolutions, you see. As I said, we're going through a revolution. Well, you see, it's a continuous revolution. It was a war on the family. It was a war against the family completely. Uh, they bombard- It was a sexual revolution too, regardless of whether they had children or not. Just go out and have sex everywhere. Decimated society. And then it was drugs, rock and roll, and, and, and sex. So you think it all happened by itself. Of course it didn't happen by itself. Of course it didn't. And what they won't mention here too is, the, the, again, the science. Oh, the science is going to be the saviour. And through the 50s and 60s, all they did is pump out massive advertising on, on these wonder drugs for psychiatry. Wonder drugs they were. Just like all the way up into Prozac in the, in the 90s. Oh, wonder drug was going to make everyone healthy again. This take this, the same rubbish that Freud came out with in his early years where he, he advocated cocaine as a treatment for every problem. Hmm? Well, they never stopped. They're always looking for the magic, the magic pill. To make everyone happy, regardless of your circumstances. Do you understand if a pill can make you happy, regardless of your circumstances? And your circumstances could be dire, then there's something awfully wrong with the pill and what they want the effect to be. Because you shouldn't be happy in such terrible circumstances. Hmm? But in the, in the 50s and 60s, the reports in the 60s came out. You can look them up yourself. Where they said that I thought seventy odd percent at one point into the nineteen seventies, seventy odd percent of women in across Britain were on Librium or Valium. Massive studies on the public, constantly being done all the time. Keep them quiet, keep them happy, keep them out of things. They never stopped. And now, of course, as they take other medications away from people, in order to try to get them, I'm talking about the, the heavy, heavy painkillers. And some folk do take opioids for terrible, terrible, painful afflictions. And with that, they can survive. We take them away, then they want to bring in marijuana. Because it's big business, big, it's, it's going to be the big, big business, baby. And every the top's going to get rich of it, you see. Yeah, that's what they tell you. That's what all your politicians have got shares in it. And your chief of police, uh, they, they got, they, they've got shares in it too. Lawyers, a whole lot. Judges, you name it. Hmm? The same folk who people pull inside for it <laughs> are going to, are pushing it. And that'll be the big substitute for all the other drugs too. Because it's time for SOMA. Soma, Brave New World, Soma. Everybody just gets stoned, eh? Remember that old saying? Everybody just gets stoned. There you go. Then you won't worry about anything. Then your masters will be have peace because you won't be bugging them or bitching to them, you see. And that's, that's what they want. Because big changes are coming up now. They already had the articles out in the summer, remember, for trial runs of paying people to stay at home, not to look for work and so on, in a, in a society where there's not enough work around anymore. Hmm? Well, keep them stoned. It's all coming into play. 
But yeah, the big, big test that they did, as I say, in the 60s and 70s into the 80s, we prescribed drugs. It was phenomenal. And they studied women, and they studied children, and they studied men with other types of drugs too. Quite fantastic. It's never stopped really. And it's not because they love you, it's they manage you. Manage you. That's what it is. Always. Years ago, I did a, a talk on, on a radio broadcast on how much money Ontario and Canada paid to tell the people how great their medical system was. $40 million a year at that time. Rather than put the money into necessary treatments and so on. No, let's just tell the people how, how great it is. What did Bertrand Russell said? He said that, the, that your governments will tell you you're living in the best country with the best medical cares and the best this and the best that in the world. And you'll believe it. Why will you believe it? Because the government will keep telling you so. Well, that's the simple, the simple technique. We're not run because people up there like us or love us at all. Nope. Everything above you runs to mandates. It's mandated that they put on this performance for you. And so if you even get a performance, generally civil servants are pretty arrogant. But it's not to serve you. So these are the, these are the results that they have uh, drug use problems and so on. Uh, all from these adverse uh, childhood experiences, they call it. Hmm? And of course, they won't go into what caused the experiences or why they're growing up in these homes the way that it is or neighborhoods or anything else. After having a total war on the public, all through the Cold War as well, by the way, and through the terrible 70s, where any, any factory that, that was worth its salt was, was closing down. But they didn't tell them at the time. It was free trade. They were moving offshore. Even men, long before you heard of, of them moving off to China, for instance, they were moving them out of Britain for years and years. And every day, it was just more unemployed, more unemployed, more unemployed. Hmm. Yep. Quite amazing, eh? So this ties in with getting it right for every child approach, the Gerfeck basically idea. And Scotland's a test bed for, for really studying them all. They're, they're guinea pigs. That's what they are, guinea pigs, really. And it says they'll build on existing policies and provide more support for children and families. <laughs> what kind of families are they talking about here? There's hardly any entire families left. But they want universal health visiting services, mandatory, and coming into your home. That's what they want. And family nurse partnerships. There you go. You've got partnership. You don't have intrusive government uh, workers coming into your home. No, you've family nurse partnerships. Let's soften everything with the terminology of marketers. Hmm? Plus good, right? It's not negative, it's plus good. Family nurse partnerships, just like family social work partnerships, plus good. Hmm? 
they go into their they're going to give achieving equity in education through the Scottish Attainment Challenge. If you go into it, it won't be the Scots that get the, the funding at all, I guarantee you. Everything's a, a deception in this day and age. It really is. And you have a national trauma training program. National, you know, trauma training. Wow. Mm-hmm. I think just getting born in a system like that is trauma. Honestly, I really mean that. It is. A system as disgusting as the one that they expected folk to grow up in. With all the big plans of deindustrialization, no work, massive layoffs, great depression, high, high prices for everything, because your rent doesn't stop when there's no work, does it? And uh, so I'll put these links up, plus getting it right for every child. Gerfek is still on the go. And all the, all the uh, academia across the planet are studying it with interest as the people are, are, are studied as like test rats, basically. We're all test rats, aren't we? Another article here, too, getting back to the nudge units, you know, and... Um, who tell you, oh, come off the medications, don't, don't use medicine. Remember, that they were all set up initially, these organizations, to save the government money by spending it on you. Well, it's your money they take off you to spend. They should be spending it on you and nothing else but you, shouldn't they? Hmm? Remember that. So, this article, Scottish doctors prescribe birdwatching and walking and other nature prescriptions, it says, isn't that wonderful? To get your mind off, you know, bad backs and bones that, that just grind together and things like that. You can feel better. If you can't walk, though, I don't know how you're going to get out and, 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 and relax as you stroll in the fresh air. It says stroll in the fresh air here. Hmm? Clear your head. Hmm? Isn't that wonderful? And these are these nudge units at play here with these articles, you see. And don't take pills and that. Get into yoga and all that kind of stuff, it says here. It really does. And bird watching. Yeah. You can go and watch birds now. Get your mind off the chronic pain. Because you see, they're going to take it off the mark. They don't want you getting treatment, you see. Save them money. But go bird watching. That's what to do. Get in touch with nature. Feel the birds. Feel. Look at them. And they give you examples up in... Storn away in places like that. And uh, what you can do is watch the terns flying in the sky, the seagulls, eh? Watch them. And if you really get in touch with them, get back to nature. Rather than take medications, get back to nature. And, and you hear them going, ah, ah, and you can start groaning in pain at the same, going, ah, ah, with your bones, you see, as you're walking there, and, and your spine's gritting together, and your hips are gritting, and your knees are gritting together, and you have no medication, just go, ah, and as soon you'll forget, you soon you'll forget that you're in agony. You will. And all the birds will be saying, ah, ah, at the same time, and, and be careful what you're doing, or you walk over the edge of the cliff into the sea, mind you. Don't do that. That, that's what the professions are telling you now, you see. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that awfully good? Now, these, these approaches to alternative health 
that you know it's from the behavioural insights team because that's what they had in their reports that I read a few weeks ago about them. They're getting paid to do this from the government so they could save money on healthcare, etc. So just become bird watchers and um, be a burden. Call to the birds. We'd be part of nature. And you, and you forget that you're sick, you see. Isn't that wonderful? All this time, we didn't know that was a cure for all. That's a remedy. Mind you, too, it ties in, doesn't it? When they're going to legalize cannabis everywhere. Soma. Because they don't want you to get other kind of medications uh, from prescription and save them money. Not bad, eh? There's always a good reason for things. And there's always a real reason. And for the real reason, you just have to do a little bit, a tiny little bit of thinking, and you'll figure it out rather quickly. Sad but true. Now this week, um, so I, as I say, I'm sorry about my, my voice. It's just, it's been a, a hectic change in the climate very quickly. And uh, I got the cold. And what can you do but struggle on and uh, sniffle a bit and put up with runny noses and the sore throat, etc. But uh, I'll get over that and I hope you're all doing okay too. This is a time of year too that a lot of folk get uh, really sick when they're prone to bronchial problems in the first place before they even get the flus and so on. So I hope they take care to stay away from as many people as they can <laughs> and try to lessen uh, the infection rate today that's going around with rather nasty stuff. And uh, we'll see what happens. And remember, too, you can support me by buying the books and discs, cutting through com, and Alan Watt Sentient, Sentinel.eu. And you'll see um, all the other sites I have listed on the com site. Make a list of them because they're all up and working. They're independent of each other and... Uh, if one goes down, you will hopefully you'll have other backups there. And you can donate as well, remember, to my work, because that helps me take along here and keeps the cost uh, at bay, you might say, because uh, not everything costs money, as we all know. You're all paying for the cost of living now, which is outrageous, all of you. We're all are, as they deflate the currency, or inflate the currency, I should say. And uh, the buying power is getting... Less and less all the time. I saw the British five-pound note, the new one. It, it's it's so darn small, and it's psychologically designed so that you realise it doesn't buy much anymore. That's that's all on purpose. At one time, you, in the old movies, black and white movies from nineteen twenties and thirties, you'll see them flourishing a pound note. It was a big long thing, big white bill at one time. Uh, to give the impression of how much it could buy, because it could buy a lot at that at that time. You'd live awfully well if you got a pound a month back in 1920. But now it's worth almost nothing at all. And so they make the bill itself, the five-pound one, uh, small. You, you always bought a wallet, too, where you'd fold the bill in it, and it'd be about the size of a folded bill, like the wallet when it was closed. Well, if you fold that, that um, five-pound bill, it's about two and a half inches wide. 
That's all. <laughs> Psychology. Most folk don't know this because they don't use cash anymore of any kind. And that's why it's so easy to go ahead now. That's what Greenspan said too. They couldn't have a, a really bad, bad depression if you just print up money. And every country's the same now. Same system from the same, same source London started a long time ago, of course. And they took everybody off the gold standard to make it more elastic, as they say. So money fluctuates from day to day in what it can buy, supposedly. And you have no say in the matter. Then that's power, that's control, isn't it? So keep yourself safe and warm and dry. And for myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada, this good night. May your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>